I want to talk to you about an uh, interesting little subject. And I want to start off with, God may seem far, but he is always with us. And it just so happened that this message came to me during a Christmas time, during the Christmas month. Uh, but I want to talk to you about that time Jesus left Israel. Now, many religions in this world and many philosophies in this world, uh, especially coming from the eastern side of the Middle East and the east especially, they cast a lot of sh uh, shadow, they cast a lot of skepticism on whether Christ really did come to earth. Uh, but though there is skepticism all around, the undeniable proofs point to Christ having really existed. Now, we're going to take a look into that more from a biblical perspective. But I wanted to also tell you about this time. You have heard of Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong, he was, uh, he was the commander during the Apollo 11 mission. And he landed on the moon. And some would have said that that moment was probably the greatest event in all of Earth's history. Now... The thing is about Neil Armstrong and that whole situation with the Apollo 11, there was a lot of skeptics. There was a lot of skeptics because they thought, well, maybe this whole thing was staged. What if this was all staged on one of the stages in Hollywood and the whole moon landing was fake? A lot of them pointed, oh, look, look at the American flag, the way he put it down, and it's waving. There's no air on the moon. How can it wave? And there was a lot of skeptics that pointed to the whole mission being faked. A lot of conspiracy theorists. But if you were to talk to Neil Armstrong, he would have told you about that time when the rocket was leaving the Earth and how as he was looking through that circular window from Apollo 11, he could see the Earth turning smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it turned into that tiny little blue marble. And then he would tell you about how he put footprints on the dust of the moon. And without a shadow of a doubt, he would tell you that everything was real. Now, as I said, this, some would have said that this was called the greatest event in history. But I'd like to object and say that the greatest moment in history was when God stepped on earth. Now, just a little disclaimer about this message. It's not supposed to be a convicting message. Uh, it's supposed to be more informative and also an encouragement, if anything. This Christmas season, I believe that many Christians all around the world can use the Christmas season to be a witness, especially the Christmas time. I think it's an opportunity also to educate any unsaved, unsaved person in a Christian's life. Through this message, I hope it can be a blessing to ultimately bring someone to the Lord. Now, as I said, there is a belief of skepticism that permeates throughout Eastern philosophy and Eastern religions, especially about the existence of Christ. And one of the things that they will say is that Christ never really died. Or they would say that Christ came to India before he died. 
Some even believe that Christ came to America and then he died. But what does the Bible say? That's the crux of the matter. And that's what we'll look into tonight in this message. But before we get into it, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for everyone that's tuned in uh, from all around the world. And I don't know how many devices there are, but Lord, all those devices, there are people behind those devices. And I pray, Father, that their hearts would be stirred. Perhaps this message will uh, somehow get shared to someone who needs to hear it. And I pray, Father, that it would be a blessing to them, that it wouldn't cast a shadow of skepticism, but it would help them to realize who Jesus Christ is, how much Jesus Christ means to earth, and how he became our Savior. Lord, I pray that you would show it to them and they, they would somehow use that information to get saved. I pray, Father, that you would work on hearts and also uh, work in this message, Lord, in my heart as well. I pray that it would be your words coming through me and not mine. Not my words, Lord. I pray that you would be honored and glorified through it all. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Christ didn't always stay in Israel. What a way to start, right? Christ didn't always stay in Israel. And obviously, you might have already heard about this in the morning message, if you were listening there. But let's turn to Matthew chapter number 2. Chapter number 2 of Matthew, in verse 13 and 15. Okay? Now, as I was saying, in many different philosophies, many different religions in this world believe that Christ never died or that Christ never stayed in Israel. There was one time where Christ did leave Israel. Matthew chapter number 2 and verse 13 to 15 tells us what happened. Verse 13, it says, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. Uh, of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So there you go. There's historical evidence recorded in the Bible that Christ did, in fact, leave Israel. But when did he leave, him, leave Israel? It was as a young child. You see, one of the first things that is usually attacked when it comes to Orthodox Christianity is this belief that Christ didn't die. Uh, if you look into two different uh, sects of Islam, there's usually the fundamental Islam. They will say that Christ never died, but that he ascended, that Allah took him. Then there's another sect in Islam called Ahmadiyya Islam. And in Ahmadiyya Islam, there's this mentality or this, this belief that Christ never died on the cross. They believe that Christ swooned or he fainted on the cross just before his death and that the disciples somehow took him away and that somehow Jesus escaped all the way, all the way to an area called Kashmir, India, and that's where he died. 
The reason why he went to Kashmir, according to them, is that there was some sects or some tribes of uh, Israelites that had gotten attracted to uh, the philosophies of Buddhism and the philosophies of Hinduism, and they had ended up in India. Now, I have no idea how this came about, but this is what they believe. You may also know that there is a cult that tries to associate itself with Christianity. A lot of their videos may be popping up already on YouTube about Christmas hymns and such, but these are the Mormons. The Mormons believe that Christ came to America. But believe it or not, Joseph Smith was not a Christian. He was an occultist. He got his beliefs out of a pagan document from Egypt. That's where he got his belief. And what he thought or he believed is that there was some lost tribe that came to America and that Jesus Christ came to meet them. And someday the Mormons think that Jesus Christ will come down to Jerusalem, but then he'll also go to Missouri for some reason. Now, you may think that, oh, you're just blowing up a small issue. It's, why is this such a big deal? It's harmless to think that Christ left Israel. You, perhaps that's what you think. But there are many implications if you believe that Christ had left Israel. There are many little things that will eventually turn to big things. Satan likes to add in little lies first in order to disrupt orthodox doctrine. Why does it matter whether Christ stayed in Israel or not? It matters. And I'm going to point out to three different doctrines that we fundamentally believe. Number one. I'm just going to give, them, uh, give all three right now, and then you can add to it as the message goes. But the first one is Christ would not have died for our sins. Number two, Christ's deity would be questioned. And number three, Christ's resurrection would have been hopeless. All this just because he stayed in Israel? Yeah. Let me point to you the first one. Number one, Christ would not have died for our sins if he had left Israel. Now, as we saw in this passage in Matthew chapter 2, this passage points to us that Christ did in fact leave Israel in a geographical sense. He left, though, not to India. He didn't leave to America. He left to Egypt. But we know that he came back to Israel also. And we see this in verse 21. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. So he did come back. Now, why did he leave? The reasoning was because Herod's reign needed to end. That's why he had to leave. And we're told that in verse 15. And was there until the death of Herod. Of Herod. There was an infanticide taking place. There was a genocide of children, a wiping out of children that was taking place in Bethlehem. It would not have been an atoning work if Christ had died then and there. If Christ had died then and there, he would not have been able to pay for our sins. If Christ died at that moment, it would not have counted as an atonement. Christ had to give himself at Calvary. And remember, 
he had to be known as a man of sorrows, not a child of sorrows. It was as if it was God's providential way to protect his only begotten son so that he could give his life as our sacrifice. Therefore, Egypt plays a huge role. Egypt, that just that little moment in time where Christ left to Egypt, plays a huge role. Christ's earthly parents took him to Egypt. Remember that Israel was looking for a Messiah. That's the whole reason why he had to go there. That was the whole reason why Herod wanted to kill the children in Bethlehem. Herod wanted to seal his throne as the sole ruler of Israel. He didn't want anyone else to take over his rulership, even after him. And why, why Egypt? Well, one good, no, one good thing to note is that Egypt was actually Roman. What had happened is that Egypt's last ruler, which was Ptolemy the 15th, Okay, Ptolemy the 15th was the pharaoh. That was Egypt's last ruler. He was the illeg illegitimate son of Cleopatra and Julius Caesar. And he was the stepbrother of the then reigning Caesar, Augustus Caesar. He was the stepbrother. So it was under Roman rule during that time. So Egypt was a good logical place to actually end up escaping into. It didn't cause any mishap for the parents of Jesus, the earthly parents of Jesus, they were able to take him there. Furthermore, there are many prophecies alluding to the fact of the atonement to be a man, not a child. Let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Chapter 53, from verse 2 to verse 5. Here's what it says. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of the dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. When was the last time you saw a baby that was despised and rejected? And again, the verses kept going on about how it was a man. So Jesus Christ had to be a man in order to be an atonement. That was a big deal. Again, we have it in Psalm 41, verse 9. Yea, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Do you know of any babies who have familiar friends willing to betray them? Right? Christ had to be a man. And again, let's turn to John 1, 11. This is a very famous one. John 1, 11. 
1 verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, and verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So you see, Christ had to be a man in order to be our atonement. Furthermore, in John 12, verse 37 and four, uh, to verse 40, uh, it, it gives us a little more about it. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, uh, spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. Because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. So these verses are showing us that though Christ came unto his own people, the Jews didn't receive him. This helped lead to the crucifixion. Their unbelief was actually a key. So Christ had to stay in Israel in order to do all of these things. Christ had to speak in parables so that he could hide the truth from proud Pharisees so that the humble may be drawn to him. So that's number one. He wouldn't have been able to be our atonement if he didn't stay in Israel. Now number two, his deity or his godhood would be questioned. As you know, the prophecies surrounding Christ's coming was indeed God with us. Emmanuel, And we sing about it throughout the Christmas time. But Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So specifically, there was a sign for Israel that Christ was to dwell with his people, the Jews. So Christ had to stay in Israel for this as well. And God in the flesh was to come to his people. But if God did not stay with his people, this would go against all these prophecies. Many times throughout Christ's ministry, he was trying to show people signs and wonders. Throughout the book of John itself, there are seven different signs for the Jews. These required that it be God in the flesh that did them. God with his people. Now, other than that, we are also told that God would be the Messiah. In Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That name Shiloh means tranquil. It's synonymous with the word peace. And we know Jesus Christ to be the Prince of Peace. So Shiloh is also a reference to this Messiah. Moses was called by God to go and deliver Israel. God told Moses his name Exodus in, in Exodus 3.14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So while Christ was on earth, he was challenged by the Pharisees. They were accusing Jesus to bring uh, to being of the devil and having cast out 
uh, demons uh, by the devil's power. And finally, he claimed to them in John 8, 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up uh, stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So if you're not being able to follow here, all I'm saying is Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and he is first the God of Israel. This is what triggered the Jews to want to kill Christ. The Pharisees were the ones that were in control at this point. And politically, they didn't want to give control over to Jesus Christ because they were afraid. They thought that if Christ succeeds, that he will not only lose their, that they will not only lose their nation, but also get wiped out by the Romans. They put their own God on the line for the sake of their power and greed. All of this would not have taken place if Christ didn't stay in Israel. If Christ didn't show that he was God. So, first was Christ couldn't have paid for our sins, but second, he couldn't have been even God if he didn't stay in Israel. But number three, Christ's resurrection would have been hopeless. Finally, this is perhaps the biggest argument of all. If Christ had not stayed in Israel, the value of his resurrection would be hopeless. As Christians, we understand the resurrection to be our hope. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. From verse 12 to 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. Here's what it says. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also in vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Is vain. Ye are yet in your sins." If Christ had not died in Israel, then we would not have a resurrection. You know, if there was no resurrection, we might as well pack up and leave and live our hopeless lives. Because there's really no use. Our belief is no different from anyone else. You see, the belief that these cults and religions and philosophies try to always push through skepticism is that Christ never died for your sins or he never rose up from the grave. In Isaiah 53, verse 9, we're even told that he was put in a grave. Not that he swooned or fainted at the cross and then brought to a different place in the, on earth. 50, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Remember, there's a borrowed tomb in Israel, and it is empty. And the beauty is even these little details that John puts in John chapter 20, verse 3 to 9, how he beat Peter to the tomb. 
You see, if Christ died in India, Peter and John would not have been able to race to a tomb to go see. They would have had, a, you know, a camelback type of uh, journey. Because the event just had to have taken place in Israel. That's the reason why we see a resurrection as well. And right after the resurrection, we know that we see an ascension. And when Christ, that after the ascension, we know that Christ now sits at the right hand of, of the Father, making intercession for us. That is all important. But I want to finalize this and conclude it. I didn't stress all these three points for no reason. I had a reason for why I was stressing all these, that Jesus Christ had to stay in Israel. When God promises something, it's not like you and me when we promise something. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to, or, uh, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus stayed in Israel, though he was despised and rejected. He stayed with the Jewish people just as God had promised Abraham that the Messiah would one day come. What does that say even for us? If we were honest with ourselves, we don't deserve the company that Jesus Christ brings with us every single day. Christ proved how much he loved Israel and how much he loves us, even though some may try to disprove him, his existence, even though we cause him many sorrows, even though the countless amount of sins that he's forgiven, he still chooses to stay with us. He still chooses to stay with you. All these three points pointed to us that even during those 33 years, he stayed with Israel. I believe one of the greatest assurances that we have as Christians to be witnesses for Christ is that he loves us and he will be with us always, even unto the end of the world. I think this is what assured Mrs. Roman as well when she headed over to Ethiopia. I think this is what assures every single missionary, especially when they're called to a country that is not very forgiving, that is not very kind to Christians or Christianity in general. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, this is the last time I'll have you turn. Hebrews verse 13. This is a very familiar passage. 13, verse 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Aren't you glad that Christ never left you? that he always stayed, even in your worst times and in your greatest needs. We know that Jesus Christ meant it because he proved it even with Israel. He never left them and he never forsook them. You and I, we can be thankful. We can honestly be thankful. But we talked about Christ. But what about us? 
we tend to leave Christ. We tend to go about our days sometimes, never even talking with him, never really, you know, batting an eye about doing something for him, never praying. Let me ask you, have you left your first love? Have you left your first love? Revelation 2.4, Christ talking to, to the church. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. That's the Ephesian church he was talking to. You can go through the motions in the Christian life. You can act the Christian act. And you can do everything that seems good outwardly as a Christian. We don't really have that much persecution as, a, as Christians in Canada. I can't say that about all around the world. But you may have daily routines that you go through every single day. But I want to ask you, would you double check? Would you double check if your first love is still there? Is Christ still there? Is he still relevant to you? I want to invite you, why not come back to Christ tonight? and stay by his side. I think the hymnist who penned down, Come Thou Fount, really put it beautifully. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Ladies and gentlemen, purpose in your heart to love your God with all your heart, with all your might, and with all your soul. He has decided to stay with you every step of the way. So purpose in your heart to stay with your Lord.